As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, This will be the last Handbrake Off for a few weeks as the World Cup starts next Sunday. So, as most of the first team jet off to the Middle East and we pray for their safe and injury-free return, (laughs) let's view this as a sort of of end-of-the-autumn-term report. Uh, We're joined by Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Morning. Hello. Good morning. Morning. Arsenal top of the Premier League at the break for the World Cup. I was going to ask, right, who plays Mikel Arteta in the Hollywood movie they'll make of this season? All right. <laughs> I might be getting slightly, slightly ahead of myself, but I think the season has a certain Hollywood quality to it. Uh, and so I'm asking who plays Mikel Arteta. You could do some of the team as well, Adrian. You're you casting think? a bit too early as usual. Ian. Yeah, of course yeah. I am. Of course I am, uh, I but I've improved right so far, haven't I? We're Let's still waiting fair. for that Leicester film, aren't we? I mean, <laughs> there's supposed to be a movie about that. If they can, if that never happened, I'm not sure we'd get one. There is, can you um, imagine the Red Bull budget on that? Just for Jamie Vardy, <laughs> that'd be a bit much. Yeah, who's playing Mikel Arteta? Oh, I don't know. It, it's a hard one. I've, I've had a little scout around. I've I've, I've sent, my, sent my actor scouts out there and, and they've come back with uh, someone with a good name, Adrian Grenier, the guy off Entourage, basically. He's a bit swarthy looking. He look, He's a handsome guy. Trim his hair. I think there's a bit of Arteta about him. And I think, uh, yeah, he'd do a great job. I've, what, what I've got also is I think the guy, is it Tom Felton who played um, Malfoy in the, in the Harry Potter films? I think he'd make a great Erdegaard. Would he? I think that one's, yeah, I do. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think he'd make a good Erdegaard. Lucius so, Malfoy, yeah. wasn't it? I, I haven't seen him. Amy, you've got kids. Have you seen him? You must have seen those. Yes, um, but I, I don't know uh, whether... Uh, um, it's, all, it's too early in the morning for me it's to be thinking about it, who might play whom in Hollywood biopics based on the third of Arsenal season, I don't know, but... Uh, Yes. Anyway, having said that, I'm asking you, you're who asking, plays Mikel Arteta? Well, I thought it probably ought to be a um, a Spanish speaking uh, actor. So I've gone for Gael Garcia Bernal, who's just brilliant. I mean, he's actually Mexican and uh, he's been in lots of amazing films. He would definitely need to uh, have a much more sensible haircut than normal, but uh, I think he would um, he would capture the uh, effervescent emotion. Of Arteta, some of that Latin uh, energy. So would he bounce around his? Te- would he bounce I, around I outside his technical well, area? Actually, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think I'd go for that. But just just go slightly off topic. I was actually approached quite some years ago by a uh, a guy who's an Arsenal fan. He's also um, a quite eminent sort of producer in the acting director in the acting world, who wanted to wanted to create a movie about Arsene. And with this casting hat on, he thought that Christoph Waltz would be absolutely perfect for Arsenal. And every time I've ever seen him in a film since then, and he is quite wonderful, you do think, oh, he could have, he could have played a a magnificent Arsene. 
I'm there for mm. Christoph Waltz playing Arsene mm. Wenger. That's absolutely a fantastic idea. Uh, I've also gone Spanish, by the way. I've got Antonio Banderas. Good-looking guy. Got the haircut. There's a certain inner rage about him that I like that I think would fit <laughs> Mikel Arteta quite well. I didn't cast all the team, but based on Aaron Ramsdale uh, saying to Zinchenko, stop taking the f- Yes, yeah, I saw the that. Weekend, yeah. I'm casting Jason Statham <laughs> as Aaron Ramsdale because I think that would work. I could just imagine him looking at Zinchenko and saying that uh, at the end of the game. And fair play as well to Aaron Ramsdale for saying that. And we'll get to that. Zinchenko drives it across. Martinelli saved by Saar. Will that be the settling second for Arsenal? The bare facts of Saturday, Arsenal won 2-0 at Wolves. A sort of workmanlike, fair, ultimately fairly comfortable victory to round off a rather splendid start to the season. Adrian, I just keep looking at the table. We're five <laughs> points clear of Man City at the top of the Premier League, seven ahead of Newcastle, eight ahead of Tottenham with a game in hand, who incidentally have had made their best ever start to a Premier League season with eight points clear. 11 ahead of Man United, 15 ahead of Liverpool, and 16, count them, 16 ahead of Chelsea. I mean, I feel like we're like Usain Bolt at the moment. We just burned them off. <laughs> Can we stay in front, though? Well, it's a little bit course. like me. I, we'll this that. is how I used to run my 800 metres at school. I just used to leg it and try and get that lead and then and then hang on in that home straight. Yeah, that's how it's going to be, I think, this season. We have built ourselves a nice, a nice cushion, but that they will come for us in that, in that second half of the campaign. And we just got to hope that the injuries don't come, that suspensions don't come and that we can keep as many of this this first choice 11 going. It's been so good. It's been an incredible season. And and this this win was as comfy as it gets. I mean, Wolves, I know they're having a bad campaign, but Wolves away isn't an easy game. No. But we made it We made it look very um, straightforward, didn't we? It was, um, yeah, not as good as Chelsea, not that eye-catching, but we never looked like conceding, in my opinion. And we picked them off at key moments. It was great. Did you doubt, Amy, before the Wolves game? I mean, we've won at Chelsea. Obviously, we've lost to Brighton in midweek with uh, with uh, essentially the reserves, not essentially, the reserves playing. And then we go to Wolves and we know how confident we are. I always felt we were going to get a result. Did you? Did you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I think Wolves were, were making quite a good fist of it in the first half. And, you know, the way that they were closing down, it was one of those where you looked at it. And if you're not watching all the other teams very, very closely every week, you think, how are they bottom of the table? You know, they were quite, quite tricky. But I think the quality of the team really shone through. I, I think there was so much to like about that second half. And I, I really enjoyed the way that they played, having scored the first goal. That was probably the best moment in the game, almost, between the first and second goals. And that was where you really saw Arsenal sort of put their foot down and take proper control. And getting that second one to really finish the game, because I think both teams probably knew that the second goal would, that would be that. I saw somebody on Twitter, which I was quite amused about, saying, come on, Arsenal, there are times when you've got to learn to just put your foot on the ball and slow down, which was the opposite of what they were doing, really. And, and that going for that second goal was exactly... Exactly what was needed, but just there's that that belief and confidence at the moment. It did feel a bit like by hook or by crook, just get the job done. Particularly after the heroics of Brentford, you know, it put a whole new psychological slant on that game. I think, and that feeling of like this is an absolute necessity to take advantage of this situation, and to have been a bit complacent or found it a bit more difficult to get going, or just missed a little bit of ruthlessness or something would have been a huge disappointment after what had happened earlier on in the day so being able to kind of deal with these slightly different that's what three times now Arsenal played after Man City and whatever the result they've not let it sort of shift their their very clear focus which I think is is really an, an amazing thing for the youngest team in the league to do that yeah it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen more, isn't it? I mean, we at City are going to be playing on Tuesday or Wednesday and we're going to be playing on Thursday into the new year. So that this is the way it's going to be. City are going to be playing Saturday morning. We're going to be playing Sunday afternoon. And uh, one thing, I read um, a piece, Mikel Arteta, uh, after the game. He said the squad's outperforming expectation uh, to be ahead of Man City at this point. <laughs> you can say that again. But he was explaining about the culture that's been created. And this is what I thought was interesting. He said, I'm more focused on our way of playing, our way of living together, the atmosphere we have around Coney and what we have generated with our supporters in our stadium. That is much more powerful. Adrian, 
there's something, for want of a better word, very holistic about the approach, isn't there? Their way of living together, the atmosphere around the club. I think it's a really smart way of, of operating as well. And if you, if you think like that and just concentrate on yourself and making sure standards are good inside the building then you don't need to keep looking at the league table or table or look at or hearing the noise from guys like us and all around the media you just got to concentrate on us and making sure we're harmonious as a group and and driving each other in training because yeah it's the modern way it never used to be this way really training was was important to a degree but there's a lot of players in my era that were hung over in training or they didn't really care but they always seem to turn up on the weekend the modern game isn't like that you've got to you've got to treat each day very seriously and and they're clearly doing that yeah and it's showing on the pitch it really is and the, and the standards have been driven up so much I think the finishing is 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 one aspect that that you, you can sort of take from that because they're so serious about their football. You can see that they're very clinical this season in front of goal. I was looking at the stats ahead of this game and we were second only to City for, for conversion rates. We're sort of approaching 22%, which is very, very good. Um, Wolves were about 6%. They were the, the lowest in the division. But if you can convert around about a fifth of your chances over the course of a season, you're not going to lose that many games, no. especially when you create like we do. So, yeah, just... We're sort of pretty cold and ruthless when we're on the pitch at the moment. It's it's great, but it comes from that togetherness and and driving up the standards daily. Yeah, uh, I mean, Mikel Arteta was interviewed uh, and he was asked about what happened on the bus because they watched the Man City game on the bus on the way up, and Brentford scored the winner. And he said, he said, "Well, you can imagine." You can imagine. That's what he said. Um, Amy, Limbs everywhere. I really like that <laughs> comment, by the way. Bus. I thought it was a really smart comment because it would have been quite easy to start to describe things and just waffle on a bit too much and maybe give a bit too much away. I thought that was just a perfect answer. I agree. I agree, but don't you think? I mean, I, I really don't particularly want to get into what the what's what it's uh, the season's get, what the season holds for us uh, and moving forward. But don't you think that that tells us that they believe that they can win the title? I don't know. I, I do think that you can only speak for yourself. You know, we've all got our own intelligence, interpretation and emotional reaction to things. And, uh, you know, throwing it to you two, or, or, you know, just talking about how I felt and others that I've spoken to felt. But when I saw, basically I had to go out. I watched the first uh, half of the Man City-Brentford game and then I had to go out and I decided that I didn't really want to torture myself for the second 45 minutes, so I, I, I ignored it completely. And then, uh, you know, I just looked on Twitter for the sort of final score without any expectations. I had no idea what had happened. And uh, it was about 10 seconds after Tony scored the second goal. And I could just see this kind of, Tony! Like stuff going off, off on Twitter. And, you know, like most people... To borrow Mikel Arteta's phrase, you can imagine what I did walking down the street in, <laughs> in the middle of town. And, um, you know, I kind of was running around celebrating like a buffoon. But I think the thing that was most amazing is that, bizarrely, for everything that Arsenal have done this season, that's almost the result that makes you think it's possible. It was Brentford. Because mm. it was like, hang on, Man City losing at home to a team outside the big, even three, never mind six or whatever, it just it just seems to be one of those things that was you know so implausible. So we've got to. you think, I think it, we've got no? To. It's nothing. No, Ian. It's no, not. Don't no, that, don't be really? silly. You don't think it's exactly the same way you were talking about Arsenal existing within their own bubble of how you know holistically how Arsenal feel and what they're doing. Man City are the absolute masters of that. It was just this feeling of them being untouchable somehow that they, I'm sure, uh, enjoyed feeling within their camp. And it, I think it's a bit of a surprise to them that they weren't so untouchable. I also think that, again, we're not trying to project forward too much, but no. once the Champions League restarts, let's not understate or, you know, how important that is to Pep Guardiola and to Man City. And I don't know whether that might be something that plays in the favour of other teams. Because in that second half of the season, I think that has to be their priority. Honestly, I'm, I do think it was a game changer, that result, in terms of our belief. Because I, th I think we're, it's 
all provided us some sort of warped level of comfort. The fact that, well, we can't win the league. Man City are so good. Of course they're going to win the league. And because I think we like the underdog status at the moment. We like being the team that can dream. We're almost seeing ourselves like some some kind of Leicester. Well, really, we're not. We're, we're much more like... It wouldn't be anywhere near the same level of shock if we were to win the title as it was when Leicester did. But I think we like being in that position. And this, this result showed that City can slip up and might slip up on more than one occasion moving forwards, which is like, which then clearly generates a, a different kind of level of excitement. And yeah, it did with me. I was thinking, oh my goodness, we could be five points clear mm. at the end of today. That was my reaction. Mm. And it was like, we, got, we can't lose this. We have to win today. This is, this is massive. And we did. And now we can just sit there and sit there and enjoy it for a bit. It's um, yeah, it's a big old result that, and also it shows City how you can break down City in terms of beating their press, going a bit longer. Other teams will mimic this and copy it. They haven't all got Ivan Tony, but if you can get into City's half and win second balls and get get runners into the box, get their midfield chasing back towards their own goal, they aren't that brilliant. You can open them up. It's just getting into their half that's the problem for most teams. Getting the ball is the, the problem yeah, for most. Exactly. Getting the football <laughs> off them. Um, I mean, Brentford could have been three up in the first 20 minutes of that game, by the way. I mean, they had chances as well. And do you agree with Amy? Uh, I'm just putting these questions out there, Adrian. But do you agree with Amy that the City would not have in, in any way thought about us? Because I know people talk about us cracking up when we think about other teams' results, but maybe that doesn't count for City. Maybe they do exist in a bubble. I've just never seen Kevin De Bruyne misplaced passes before, and I watched I thought, blimey, something's going on. <laughs> no, I just no, I, I, I just think they had, a, they had an off day. They had an I, off I day. Think, yeah, yeah, just think they had an off day, yeah. And, but nice to think that they can have off days. That's the thing. That's the kind of extra that, bonus for, for Arsenal. That's what I was saying, yeah. Yeah, they, they aren't invincible. They aren't the perfect... They're absolutely not the perfect team. Looking at the way we've pl- we're playing this season, I'm not frightened about that double header. I'm really actually excited about the game at Emirates in particular. So, um, yeah, so bring yeah, it bring it on. Hello there. This upcoming World Cup, what are The Athletic going to be doing about it? Well, I'm James Richardson and every night I'll be hosting a totally football show with the likes of Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and the rest of the Totally crew. Then every morning from Qatar, wham, the Athletic Football Podcast will be at you with David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and many more. There'll also be World Cup content from Adam Hurry's Football Clichés Podcast, Michael Cox's insightful Athletic Football Tactics Podcast and Joe Devine's TIFO Podcast with all the stories that matter from Qatar. All in all, The Athletic is your essential audio companion for the upcoming World Cup. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Let's talk about our defence then, or certainly uh, one member of our defence, Gabriel Magalhães, left out of the Brazil squad. Key to our performance again. I mean, he's one of those guys that he's definitely a little more under the radar. He made that mistake against Fulham. He obviously made it up by scoring the winner. He's been excellent, Amy, hasn't he? And his distribution is way better than people realise. I think he's been a pretty outstanding buy for Arsenal, period. I think he kept, when he came into the team quite young, with quite a lot of adaptation to do, not having a lot of English and us not really being uh, so Brazilified, if such a word exists, as is the case now. <laughs> I like it, though. I like it. Um, but I think his courage and his heart and his determination and fearlessness and will to win 
is such a big asset. You know, he's a real defender's defender. And yes, he's sometimes reckless and sometimes makes a little bit of a error or might get a bit unlucky, as sometimes is the case with defenders when something doesn't quite uh, go the way that it's expected. But, you know, he has been the man that is there with the late block so often. He's been the man that gets his head to the ball. I think he's got quite a kind of um, leader at the back charisma. That might be more of a leadership by example than anything else. But I think he's become really important to Arsenal. And the emergence of Saliba, I think, to an extent, created this new debate of whether somehow Gabriel might be expendable or an upgrade might be needed or something like that. Not for me, Clive. I, I very much <laughs> like the uh, the balance of, of the back four, almost whoever's in it at the moment. And and I think the rapport between Gabriel and, and Saliba, considering that's a, a brand new partnership that's what, you know, 14 games old or, or whatever the hell it is, is been a, a, an important building block to everything that's happened this season. There's like a rugged abrasiveness about Gabriel that, it's really pleasing on the eye, actually. Yeah. And um, he adds balance as well with that left left foot of his. He's happy in the in the fullback areas. Yeah, great value he's got to the team. He is every bit as important as Saliba. As much for his character, as, as Amy's just pointed out, because William Saliba's a quiet young boy going about his business. And Gabriel is, is, is much more vocal, isn't he? Much more of a sort of charismatic guy. And um, I think you need, you, it takes all sorts. Yeah. And as I said, the balance, the left foot, right foot thing. And also, by the way, they can play that high line I was reading the other day. So that's. And, uh, and, and he scores goals. And he scores, he scores goals. goals from set pieces as well. All good. One other player from uh, Saturday's game, Adrian Fabio Vieira, came on, replaced Granite Xhaka early on. We didn't ever want to lose Granite, but uh, upset Tummy. And he, he did well, Fabio Vieira, actually. I mean, in the past, he's come on quite often in the Europa League games. He hasn't played with the first team that often. He did against Brentford and he scored a great goal. Um, but he's, stand, he's he's playing next to Thomas Partey and with Martin Erdegaard. He looked like a player and he obviously got the assist for the first goal. I, th- I think the assist for the goal was, was the big moment for him, wasn't it? Because he's, he's had a few ineffective cup performances where people around me, I'll level with you at the games, are saying, Fabio Vieira, what do you think? Not really doing it, is he? He's getting a bit knocked off the ball and not really putting his imprint on games. And, and it's hard to... He dis- didn't have the physicality, did he? Or, or doesn't have the physicality as he Yeah, is. it's hard to disagree with that assessment on current form. I feel like he needed a contribution. And a little bit like when Arteta brought on Reese Nelson for the Forest game, it was, oh, OK, Reese is coming on. And he delivered. I think it was like a show of faith from Arteta to Reese that was a little bit unexpected. With this one, he could easily have gone with Sambi Laconga. He could easily have gone with a Moel Nenny. But he actually thought, hang on, Wolves aren't very good, first and foremost. Let's get another attack-minded player on. But I think he also sensed that Vieira needed a good game and he needed to contribute. And he had long enough to do that. And yeah, I think what he did for the goal was brilliant. It's obviously a great play from Jesus to slip him in. And and when he gets in that to the byline, loved what he did. Calm, you know, the little cli- the little clip across the face of go, yeah, he's got that. So I think he needed it, needed a confidence boost. And now he can go away for this break and feel like I've done something. I've made I've made a contribution. It's not just the Brentford goal now. And do you think Amy can be inspired by what Martin Erdegaard has done? I mean, this time last year, Martin Erdegaard wasn't a regular as much struggling to fully impact the team. Now, now look at him. He's the centre, he's the captain. And maybe Fabio Vieira can look up to him and go, yeah, I can have a bit of that. I think Fabio Vieira, by all accounts, has got quite a strong personality. So I don't know how much he's sort of looking up to people, for examples, because I think he believes in himself. It's just a question of adaptation. And as we know from years gone by, not all great players hit the ground running. Uh, in fact, it was fairly unusual you know you think about Pires and Petit um, Henri to an extent you know it was not uncommon for people who turned out to be iconic players for the football club to need a bit of time and space to get used to things so maybe Arsenal might have hoped for a bit more consistency from him at this point rather than kind of cameos that have been a bit up and down but I think it'll be useful to him to feel that he's had a real taster of the demands of Arsenal's football and Arsenal's position 
And I think perhaps this break will be quite a useful time for him. On that Vieira point that Amy was making, it's very unusual mid-season where you can have proper time to evaluate what you're doing. It's it's like you, you can have a mid-term report. You can really, I'm sure that the analysts and, and, and the management and the coaches will use this time to kind of just say, right, this is your season so far. What do you think of it? And you did this great. This is what we can work on. You don't get the time to do that mid-season ever. So the players that maybe haven't been superstars in the campaign so far, I think will benefit or should benefit greatly from that feedback and time to, to look back on on what they've what they've done and what they haven't done. Well, this comes to the point that we've got a break now, uh, Adrian. If you were running this this eight hundred meters that you mentioned earlier, right, <laughs> yeah. and four hundred meters in, the whole race stopped and and we sat down. It's actually not four hundred meters in because we were basically a third of the way. So you're about three hundred meters into the eight hundred. You're about ten meters ahead of the rest of the field. If we stopped at this point and said, now, look, you are quite a long way ahead, but you're going to get tired second part of the season. You need a little bit, little bit of analysis of what's um, what's happening in the race. Do you, I mean, do you think this break has come at a good time? There, There is something to be said for a reset, is there not? Yeah, definitely. It's how you use it. Our weakness, the most obvious weakness with us is depth and fatigue is going to impact depth. So the fact that we can have this reset and, and a breather, and, and let's face it, not that many of our players going to the World Cup are going to play every minute of, of every game, then I think it's more of a positive than a negative, even though we're flying at the moment. Would you concur, Amy? Look, I think you, you, you can't change the reality of the schedule that you've got in front of you. So it, your task is to be as positive and as smart with the time and the conditions that you've got available. The famous flag that started off with George Nose and then turned into Arsene Nose. You know, maybe this is a big moment really to find out how much Mikel knows because if he gets this right, if he manages to make the best possible use of the conditions, the time, the schedules, all the differences that, that different players are going to be experiencing over these next few weeks and brings them all together, gets a bit lucky, which is needed with, with fitness and, and, and so on. But if the preparation is good to restart with a bang, which is needed because, you know, the first two games, well, uh, well the first three games after coming back in the league are, are, are big ones. West Ham, Arsenal are going to want to start strong. Brighton away has been a really, really hard game for Arsenal for a while. And then Newcastle, which is going to be a fascinating meeting because they're a serious team now. So it is going to be very telling about how that first period pans out to show what kind of platform Arsenal are on for attacking the second half. Well, the second two thirds of this 800 metres. Quite, quite. But uh, but I, I go back to what Mikel Arteta said. I'm focused on, on our way of playing, our way of living together. And I imagine a lot of thought is going into all that. Adrian, you want to say something? Yeah, I was just, just going to say on that, on that sort of pause on that 800 metre race, what I'd be after is a few sort of energy drinks or, or you know something something to pet me up. So if I could, what about a mate? For, what about a mate in your position to push you on? <laughs> that's what. That's kind of what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm visualising. That 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 energy drink is a new signing. Okay, yeah, yeah to just give a bit of rocket fuel for the second uh, two thirds of the season. Um, this is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by the Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. 
Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark on Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We're going to have a little chat for a few minutes now with Seb Stafford-Bloor, who wrote the book How to Watch Football. Hello, Seb. Hi, Ian. I wrote Thanks part of the book. Us. You wrote part no, no, of the it's book. Very good. I, I, a bit of false modesty to begin with. I, um, we, we, it was kind of collaborative effort and uh, kind of drawn from all parts of the, uh, the TIFO universe, I guess. So we were all in it together. Well, we're, we're, it, it's appreciated. 52 rules for understanding the beautiful game on and off the pitch. Ian Wright wrote a review on the front. I love TIFO, which is uh, very good of him, uh, I'd say. So tell us what the book, I mean, essentially, I guess what the book is about is the rules for understanding the beautiful game on and off the pitch. Yeah, I think we wanted to create something which was for everybody. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but um, we wanted to make sure that if you'd you know, watched a million games of football, watched every World Cup. And if you're someone that's going to watch four games a day uh, all the way through the tournament, then there's something for you in the book. But also, similarly, if this is your first World Cup, if your your, your interest has been peaked and you want to have a little bit of a companion for the tournament itself, then there's something in it for, for you as well. So hopefully we struck the balance. The The good people at Penguin have uh, helped us editorially. I think it's kind of been... Um, been eye-opening in terms of like stepping back from some of the assumed knowledge that you get used to when you work and, and write about football and talk about football so we went back to kind of explaining why there are 11 players on a pitch and you know why the, the penalty box has a d and things like that and and so yeah hopefully we, we've uh we've managed to to tread that line and um hopefully that, yeah something for everybody i guess well, that's, I mean, we've got very different levels of football knowledge uh, on this podcast. We have Amy, someone who's written about football for years and years and knows what she's talking about. Adrian, who's played the game at the highest level. Uh, and a stand-up comedian uh, who just sits in the stand and, and <laughs> dreams about ridiculous things like Arsenal winning the Premier League. We've all got our ideas about how things work. I mean, one of the intra- one of the things that uh, it was talked about in the book was the evolution of the number 10 role. I mean, we've gone from Dennis Bergkamp to Mesut Ozil to Martin Odegaard, very, very different players. What are your thoughts on, on the way things have worked, particularly at Arsenal? I think it's really interesting. I think I, I think also, a from an evolutionary standpoint, I think a really broad distance has been covered in quite a short period of time. Because you mentioned Bergkamp, and Bergkamp is in that, he's in that first wave of European tens isn't he that comes over and um much like Cantona a little bit before him no one really knows like Premier League defences don't really know what to do with him he's too gifted he's too too smart with his positioning and inhabits all the space that no one really knows how to cover yet Ozil I I, I don't really want to come onto an Arsenal podcast and express any sort of opinion about Meza Ozil I still feel like that's dangerous territory for anybody um but I, I feel like he's also uh, he was a little bit of a throwback in some ways in the, in the sense that he was thought of as a luxury item by some people. Um, some people, not necessarily by me. And then you move forward to Odegaard, who, like all of us, I'm 38. I grew up with the idea of a, a number 10 as a kind of languid character. Someone who would stroll around the pitch with his shoulders broadly uh, when he didn't have the ball. Like shouting at teammates, demanding it to feet, exactly to feet, never running onto it. Like the old cliche of... Uh, of a, of a 10 who didn't necessarily have to fit into a team. It was like 10 players plus one, your your creator, your fantasista, you, you, that player. And today, like, Erdegaard is probably, I mean, I, I suppose he, he belongs in the dictionary uh, alongside the kind of the definition of a number 10. And yet a very industrious player, someone who is involved in all sorts of facets of the game, all sorts of features of Arsenal's play. And, and also, interestingly, fits into a formation that isn't tailored around his existence as it would have been 20, 30 years ago. So I, I think it's really, really interesting. Also the idea of like a, a 10 as a captain, I think it's quite interesting because a 10 as a captain is an example setter as someone who who sets the mood, someone who who sort of exerts sort of, uh, I suppose, a, not necessarily authority, that's not really the right word, is it? But an example uh, uh, across the rest of the side. And that again is not really what I grew up with and probably not what a lot of other people grew up with. I think that's really interesting. Like, uh, uh, I think a number 10 now is like first violin in the orchestra. So you're still very much part of the, whereas it used to be the kind of soloist. So. Ex- exactly that. Exactly that. And also socks down, probably not wearing any shin pads, shirt out, probably reeks of last night's night out a little bit on the pitch. <laughs> if he was playing in the 70s and the 80s, comes on the, into the dressing room reeking of Sambuca. 
today couldn't be more different. Like you just don't, I, I think it's about toler- what you tolerate in the game and, and what you have to be. And it's almost a, you have to, I think it expresses something really special about a player because if you if you tick all the boxes, all the prerequisites for a modern player, which is uh, industry, defense for awareness, responsibility, like tactical acumen, um, that kind of collective team spirit, but then you also earn the right to be considered number 10. It's quite the accolade if you think about it in those terms, I think. What about captaincy, Seb? Because there's been a real evolution about uh, about that, hasn't there? It used to be the screamer, the shouter, that basically the hardest man in your team would be the skipper. And, and now it, it doesn't feel like it really matters who's the captain at all. It doesn't feel like it, but it, it's also interesting that you can become a technical leader now, Aid. Like you're, you're, you don't have to be the wall puncher anymore, do you? I think there's something we all get a little bit wrapped up in in England. Um, I think it's quite British to kind of to, to elevate the captain above peers. I think in Italy and Spain they just choose the oldest player, don't they? In the international, it feels team, symbolic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's right. It's like it's it's like a sort of um, it's like going the lifetime award at, at like um, you know, at the Oscars or something, isn't it? Like you get to be captain now, whereas here it's still super important. But yeah, it it, it is an interesting change. Seb, just wondering of the sort of fifty two things, what's the quirkiest? The quirkiest? Oh, it's a really good question. Um, there's a chapter in there about how uh, Athletic Bilbao scouting and the kind of the, the network of supporting clubs and the importance of the club within the region. I suppose it's not really quirky. I guess it's more a, an example of how in a game where the broader the scouting network, the better and the more that you spend on, you know, that guy that you've got in the deepest parts of Brazil or Argentina or, or you know, Japan, the idea that you can still mine so much ability from your own region. I think that's not quirky, but it was, it's an interesting thing. And I, I hope it has interest for people who aren't um, everyday football fans too. I've got a, a Chelsea mate who was, who was uh, talking very kindly about Arsenal really and about how what they've done and he said it's almost like a a money ball thing that they've done and I think it's it's not almost it, it sort of is isn't it do you do you cover that sort of stuff the the um the way that Mikel Arteta seems to understand the beautiful game uh is such an evolution from um uh from how things were say 20 years ago yeah I think so I mean we we, we cover it in the abstract Ian, in the sense that tactically obviously there's a it's shaping up to be an amazing piece of work. I'm a Spurs fan, so God, I hate saying that. Um, but to <laughs> yeah. me, like I feel the modernity of Arteta's approach shows in the challenges that he's taken on. Like in the sense that Wenger used to talk about how the modern player—you don't tell the modern player what to do anymore. You persuade him that it is in his best interest to take direction. Now, like Arteta coming in and and taking on the characters that he did in the Arsenal dressing room—that's really interesting example of of how broad a manager's role has become in that you're not taking on a player you're not saying right well i i don't want this this sort of um this creaking number 10 anymore who owns loads of money and you know this center forward has become a bit too much of a problem it's like you're you're attacking an industry you're attacking this kind of this business within your first team who which you know a player that yes earns a lot of money um is a huge part of your wage bill but also has the loyalty of an enormous part of your fan um of your fan base who will make headlines will it's that stuff i think which it which is really really interesting and it's that kind of the way we covered it was almost to convey the scale of modern football in a sense it's just not picking players anymore and and you know writing down tactics on a chalkboard it's a for a manager, it's a job with an enormous butterfly effect, for want of a better expression. Come on, Seb, you're, you're on an Arsenal podcast. Admit it. <sighs> you're impressed. You know, I, 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 I am impressed because, because I think that I, I'm, I'm going to involve a sly dig here, Amy, just as a way of getting my way of, mm. you know, getting my point across um, and making fair, myself right? feel better. It's only fair. It's only fair. So if you think about um, some of the, the patches of form that Arteta's been through, and how many negative experiences the Arsenal fan base have been through over the last probably decade um, and how fractious and combustible it's all been. It takes amazing resilience to survive that and to come out on the other side and produce what he has done. And also, um, listen, when the All or Nothing documentary came out, uh, I was rubbing my hands because I couldn't wait. Oh, I just couldn't wait to see it. I couldn't wait to rub my hands and, 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 and enjoy those last sort of episode seven, episode eight, where it all fell apart. Um, I haven't seen them actually. I haven't. I I, well, it, yeah, <laughs> it didn't spend quite as much time as I wanted to on those bits, but well, we'll leave that for another day. But 
you remember sort of some of the ridicule that he suffered as a result of that, like some of the mocking on Twitter and some of the kind of the, the comments that um, his motivational exercises attracted. And derision is a really difficult thing to get rid of in football. It's like a bad smell. It's like, it's like when you, you know, you smoke in your own house and you can't get out of the, out of the fixtures and the furnishings. Um, and yet he comes out the other side. He spoke, um, spoke on Mike Halvin's podcast about how he listened to those people closest to him, um, in relation to, you know, what could he, what could he do better? How did I come across? Um, what are the next steps for me? Speaks to an amazing, uh, emotional maturity in somebody to be able to do that, especially today. So yeah, I, I'm 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 hugely impressed. Um, don't ever tell anybody outside of this podcast that I am. Um, let's just keep it all between us. We're all friends here, just for today, okay? Um, yeah. But it's um yeah, it is, and um, it's never too late to change, mate. Never too yeah, late yeah, to yeah, change. Oh, you want to come across? Get off. get off, Ian. Can you kick me off now, please? Three miles down the Seven Sisters Road. It's all it is. It's a short stroll. Um, thanks, Seb. The book is called again. How to Watch Football, 52 Rules for Understanding the Beautiful Game on and off the pitch. And it's coming out on Thursday the 17th. Excellent. Thank you, Seb. Thank you very much. Cheers, Seb. My pleasure. That was uh, Seb Stafford Bloor there. We should get Tottenham fans on more often just to take the piss. It's quite fun, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, how big is the opportunity we have in the second half of this campaign? I'm going to sort of, I mean, we have had, by the way, I was watching a video yesterday, we've had a huge improvement in the number of injuries um, from 2021 Shh, to 2122. Don't, don't. What are you doing? Shush. What? what excuse don't me. Don't these living things. In medi- what are, just, are we living in medieval yeah, absolutely. times, Amy? Uh, you got lucky socks on or always. something? Always. Do you think they listen to this and they think, oh, I won't do me warm-up just before I run out on the pitch? I think they know what they're doing, so I'm not really concerned about this. I'm just saying in the past, we've had we've had quite a lot of injuries we seem to have got on top of that a bit more. And whenever people talk about injuries, Amy, as we're chatting, no one ever thinks, well, the other teams will get injuries as well. I mean, if Manchester City lose Haaland, that is a big loss for them. So that could go wrong. Where else Where else could it go wrong for us, do you think? I mean, if, I mean they're going to come back from a World Cup. Who knows if they're going to be able to link together in the same way? Where are the areas we need to to look at? You're asking me. I'm asking I both mean, of you, really. Well, I mean, it's I think, a difficult well, question, but it is a difficult one. I, I, I just think it's it's mentally, isn't it? Like we're in that sweet spot at the moment, mentally. But but at the moment, for the players, as it is for us, it's all a dream, isn't it? It's when that begins to look like more of a reality in terms of right, with ten ten games to go in the season, this might actually happen. We would all love the players, the manager, the staff to seize that moment and, and go up a gear. But the, the truth is, until you get into that position and face it, you don't know how they react. They could tighten up. They could get nervous. They could they could change. We've um, got title winners in the dressing room, though, haven't we, Amy? I mean, I mean, yeah. Alexander Sinchenko and Gabriel Jesus are going for their fifth Premier League. These are not inexperienced uh, uh, players at this level. Yeah, but I mean, I think in the end, it's... It, <sighs> Yeah, it could help, but you just don't know. You just don't know how people are going to feel once something becomes a bit more, a bit more insight. You know, it's difficult to predict. It might. What... The last two hundred meters, Adrian, is what we're talking about now. <laughs> well, the, the fearlessness of youth is a thing, and we've got youth. So you, you'd maybe suggest that that it might not impact us negatively. That they that they will just keep keep flying along you'd love to think so wouldn't you so but yeah as Amy says we don't know last season when the pressure was on we crumbled until you face pressure again at the end of the season and don't crumble that's always going to be in in the back of your head actually that's a really good point about the end of last season because I think that when they came back um to begin this season, that was something that was mentioned. It was something that a few of the players, Ramsdale yeah, Ramsdale spoke yeah. very well about it, and like that, you know, the experience of that horrible feeling is something that is going to give everything to make sure he doesn't have to go through again. So the fact that they know how it feels to not do it, irrespective of age, experience, personalities, whatever, that's quite fresh in the mind. And I'll always remember Gilberto Silva who joined Arsenal in 2002 when they were champions, coming into the team. And that team 
evidently went through that season feeling like they should have won the league again and missing out and him talking about how painful it was in his first season, how much it really, really got under his skin to have not delivered in that season when I think the players felt they should have and they let themselves down. He felt that that was quite a significant part of the springboard that launched towards the Invincible season. So perhaps that freshness of a of a very recent frustration, it can be very motivating. Yeah, completely. I, I think it, yeah, that that's how they'll try and channel it. They'll channel it into a positive and it's the right thing. I also think that the connection with the fans shouldn't be ignored. I think that there's a, a really strong wave there um, between, and we've talked about it a lot, haven't we, this season, but that, that could help help us through a sticky patch. I really do, compared to before where, you know, everyone might then start to get really grisly. I just don't think it will happen. Um, this is your mum standing on the side of the track as you come round the bend <laughs> for the yeah, last 100 metres. Yeah, we're with you, yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> roar, roaring you home. And I, just, I, I mean, that is when I think about the second half of the season or the second two thirds, it is the excitement of being involved in those matches that really matter at the business end of the season roared on by that by that fan base at Emirates Stadium which has been so good this season with this exciting young team I just can't wait for it to happen no. and I just yeah I just I just hope we're in that position to 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 make the dream come true and how much Amy before we go how much does it Matt will it affect us that all we ever really wanted from this season is top four Right, all we ever wanted, we thought, let's get in the top four. If we can win the Europa League or win the FA Cup, whatever, is that? Have we moved on from that now, or is that still what what the the, the fundamental thinking of the management would be? I think if you've tasted ambrosia, it's very difficult to, <laughs> to yes. have a less yeah. sweet taste. I mean, I absolutely, I, I still think that anybody who would turn around and suggest that Arsenal failed or bottled it or blew it or whatever if they don't win the league and only ended up in the top four needs their head examined. And getting back in the Champions League in whatever capacity will be a huge success, period. However, obviously, you use that as your baseline for what you want to achieve from this season and anything above that, bring it on. Let's do our best. And that's the only sensible way of approaching it. If you take a test, like a, an exam or a spelling test, right? You don't, you know, seven out of ten get get gets you a pass. Like that's that's the base that you go for. But you don't go into that exam chasing seven out of ten. You go for ten, don't you? You go you go for the A or the A star, and and if you don't get that, you you go for the the next highest grade. That has to be the mentality of of this Arsenal team and it will be we, we, we're going for the title now that is it we are going for the title and if we don't make it that won't be a surprise uh, and hopefully the, the backup prize will be top four dear listen I, w- which I wish great. you could see Ian Stone's face he's got this kind of wistfulness written across his brow yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> well it's nice to think about these things isn't it really it is i mean look i'm just uh, it's just a joy and and it you know as a uh as we're doing a sort of uh end of the autumn term report it's an a star isn't it really at the moment i mean it absolutely has to be it's an a star i mean there's no getting away from it um we're going to be number one by the way we're going to be uh <laughs> top at christmas uh it's a little earlier than usual usually it's 18 19 games now it's 14, but we are top of Christmas. They cannot take away from that. So we thought, as we're doing songs, let's choose a Christmas song, a number one to end the uh, podcast for the next few weeks. So, Amy, I'm going to come to you first. Well, I was tempted to go with probably the song I most loved that was a Christmas number one, but I couldn't really find the Arsenal connection, and that was Don't You Want Me by the Human League. But failing that, uh, I'm going to go for um, the version of the, uh, the um, Tears for Fears song Mad World by Gary Jules and Michael Andrews, which was a, a very acoustic sort of uh, dreamy take on a superb song. And it is a mad world. It's a very mad world out there. We all know it's um, every day you look at the news and you see what's going on in the world and it's worrying and deflating and crazy and 
it's it's a mad world that we're going off to the World Cup in Qatar in November, uh, and to an extent, it's a mad world that Arsenal five points clear of Manchester City. So, yeah, that's my choice. Great, uh, Adrian. What about you? Yeah, well, there's one. I look, I look. I scrolled through all the Christmas number ones. And there's, <laughs> there's there's one title. There's actually a double A side. So it's, it's the it's the most obvious one. It also fits in with my terrible taste in music. <laughs> it's a 1999 uh, Christmas number one from Westlife. It's a double A side. Number one is I Have a Dream. And number two is Seasons in the Sun. Yeah. Seasons in the Sun. I mean, it's, they're not talking about football seasons, but uh, it works, doesn't it? I do have a dream. I think we all do. And this is a season in the sun. So, yeah, it kind of fits well. Seasons in the Sun. We had joy. We had fun. We had Tottenham on the run, right? That was what <laughs> we used run, to yeah. sing, did we not? <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, look, uh, I, I actually... I was looking at Christmas songs as well and um, simply having a wonderful Christmas time, right? I I actually can't choose that just because Amy would just like, I don't know, she'd never speak to me again. It's just really one of the worst Christmas songs of all time. Um, well, I'm um, I'm having it to begin. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I mean, I I, I would have the Bublé version, but I genuinely like the Bing Crosby uh, for all our older listeners out there because it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. I think there's a certain Take sort a of the excitement, <laughs> and obviously I'm getting that at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's just seeing Amy put her head in her hands at that very point. Allow me to dream, Amy. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you, the players aren't listening. They're in their bubble, doing their whatever they're doing, Pilates or whatever. <laughs> so they're fine. So it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And we are number one uh, at Christmas. And that's it for us until after the World Cup. Happy Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Happy Christmas, everyone. Thanks to Have Amy Lawrence. Thanks to AJ. It sounds ridiculous. We That's were doing that at the football the other day. It's too mad. Anyway, yes. Happy Christmas, everyone. Thanks to Amy. Thanks to Adrian. Uh, thanks to Guy, our producer. Thank you, listener. Have a lovely Christmas. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>